The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, Elon Musk takes a 9% stake in Twitter. Elon Musk and passive is like an oxymoron. We unpack the buy with media and tech watcher and tweeting enthusiast himself, Rich Greenfield. I do think it underscores for investors that Twitter could be acquired. And I think given the weakness in the stock that you've seen, there's an opportunity to own Twitter. And this is a BFD for working people. Amazon workers unionized. President of the Service Employees International Union, Mary Kay Henry, on today's labor movement. We're witnessing the great resignation of workers turn into the great reckoning by workers deciding not to quit their job, but by joining together and demanding unions. Those stories, plus Howard Schultz back on the job at Starbucks and J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon sounding the alarm for risk in the global economy. CNBC's Leslie Picker on his annual message to Wall Street. He really did echo the, the comments made by Fink and the ones made by Howard Marks, this idea that companies really need to be kind of rethinking their supply chains and looking at who are the countries that they're doing business and whether they share American ideals, American values. It's Monday, April 4th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, go please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And Andrew, welcome back. Thank you. I don't think I, I didn't feel like I really went anywhere no, except for my here. little cold. But my I'm, little, I'm glad you're feeling my, a little, little better. Cold. We all feel everything these days. <laughs> We're right? all checking everything First time. Out. First time I had a well, cold. Well, that's just it. None of us are used to being sick. So when you get sick, it's like, are you kidding? Is there such a thing as a cold? Yes, it is. There it is. Exists. But when you get it, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> here we go again. Here we go again. So it's just a weird world. That it we, is. It, and for two years, you got nothing else. I, I know. Nobody got weird. sick for two yes. years. The no, kids didn't get sick. So then you it do get sick thing. with the cold. It's like, oh, no. So and it's you don't just, know what's coming. Right, right. right. But then you test and test and test, and you think it's a false negative, and then it's not. You yeah. take enough, right? And then it's, that was a cold, because there's such a thing as a cold. And there is such a thing as flu, too. Right? And it's bad. My, my son had flu recently, and we forget and it how, what it feels like. And they have a combo test now? They have a combo test you can take that's COVID and the flu. Did you know this when you go I in? did not know that. No, the doctors now have this thing. It's one swab. It takes it out, and you can very quickly figure these things out. Awesome. That's going to be the next thing on the market. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Great. Technology. Great. Starbucks saying it plans to suspend billions of dollars in share repurchases. This coming as interim CEO Howard Schultz, starting on his first day as interim CEO, said that the move would free up cash to invest in cafes and employees. The company previously halted buybacks in 2020 in response to the pandemic. But back last October, it announced plans for $20 billion in dividends and buybacks over the next three years. Schultz is scheduled to lead a town hall meeting with employees at Starbucks headquarters on his first day back today. And it's gonna be fascinating to see uh, what he does and how he shifts things at the company given the, the, the union push there. And also what clearly needs to be, I think, an additional investment. And this, I think, is part and parcel of the union issue. 
into the stores. You go into so many stores these days and the line is out the door and the sort of joy of the whole thing has been a little bit lost because so many of the, the workers, who, so many of whom now want to unionize, I think actually just have too much to do. I mean, it yeah. just, it's, it's become a factory floor as opposed to that quote unquote third place where, you know, they used to write their names on the thing and there was sort of happy, you know, Artsy and stylish were, you know there was some yeah. level of which they were not selling coffee. No, and they, uh, they were, were selling, selling a lifestyle to a certain extent and where I think you come that, in and hang out and spend your time working And I there, think but. now that, by the way, I think 70% of coffee now at Starbucks is being taken from the store. So the idea of the whole third place unto itself becomes, becomes complicated. So they've become more of a, of a factory line. Which well, and I think, that, so I think one of the things that's going to be very interesting to see how Howard Schultz sort of approaches that, you know, one of the things that Howard used to always talk about was the idea that if a, if a company could exceed, I love, those, love this idea, if you could exceed the expectations of your employees, your employees would exceed the expectation of the customer. Well, he's got, he's got a... But that's a very hard thing to do in this big environment. Job. Right, it's a big job. And by the way, just think about how angry people are in general right now. The tempers flare over minor things. Um, that's, and people, everybody's and that's expectations. It's very hard to exceed yeah. expectations because everyone's expectations are Pretty very high. high. Well, right. How many drinks do you need to know how to... It's, you might as well be a bartender. And it takes a long time to make those things. It's not like coffee, milk, you know, sweet and low. It's like you, you're all over to play poor. And, and, and it would be hard. It'd be hard to be a person. And especially when people are waiting and there's a line. I was reminded of a Jeopardy question from last week, and it was, Starbucks was the answer. But the guy said he went in and he, he said, you know, they write the name on the cup, and he goes, it's Mark with a C. So he got it, and it said, Kark. <laughs> I saw that, too. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, it was clever. So you were watching? It, it, was it Jeopardy? I thought I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. Maybe, no, maybe. It was, well, maybe. this one was, yeah. Maybe, this was, maybe I was. This is how sad this is. We were watching Friday's Jeopardy last night. I taped it. Well done. J.P. Morgan, uh, Chairman and CEO. Well, it wasn't Wheel of Fortune. That, well, we watch that afterward. Chairman and CEO Jamie Dimon releasing his annual letter uh, this morning. Leslie Picker uh, joins us now with some of those highlights. Hey, Leslie. I'm gonna, I just said I'm writing a letter. I want to get all this publicity. Larry Fink, Jamie Dimon. Why can't I write a letter? I may not talk about the same kind of stuff, though. I think you could write a letter. Just make sure they spell I your agree. name correctly. Yeah, That's, exactly. You know, Joe with a J. Makes sense. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but to your, <laughs> to your point, Diamond releasing his lengthy letter to shareholders this morning, and he details a confluence of factors that he believes may, quote, dramatically increase the risks ahead. These factors include a strong U.S. economy, high inflation, and the war in Ukraine. His view of the economy was relatively positive. He describes the consumer as being in, quote, excellent financial shape on average. He said consumer spending over the last few months is 12% above pre COVID levels. That segues into a section on monetary policy. Diamond wrote, quote, the stronger the recovery, the higher the rates that follow. I believe that this could be significantly higher than the markets expect, according to Diamond, and the stronger the quantitative tightening. He adds that this process will cause lots of consternation and very volatile markets as well. Lastly, geopolitics. Diamond said the war in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia at a minimum will slow the global economy and it could easily get worse. Diamond notes that more sanctions could be added and said, quote, along with the unpredictability of war itself and the uncertainty surrounding global commodity supply chains, this makes for a potentially explosive 
situation. I think he he means that word in more ways than one. As for the firm itself, Diamond says he's not worried about direct exposure to Russia, though he says J.P. Morgan could still lose about a billion dollars over time as a result of all of this. Guys, that's legitimate. I, you know, say anything about globalization? That was the last thing we heard in one of these major uh, letters from from Larry Fink. Yep. Yeah, he, he really did echo the, the comments made by Fink and the ones made by Howard Marks, this idea that companies really need to be kind of rethinking their supply chains and looking at who are the countries that they're, they're doing business based on their supply chains and whether they share American ideals, American values, and what that means for the future and, and potential risks therein. And so he does talk, you know, not necessarily in this kind of deglobalization fashion, but this idea that companies will be looking into this and, and there, there could be a, a fractioning of supply chain based on ideals as opposed to what it's been previously, which has just been, you know, comparative economics. Do you search the letter for crypto or Bitcoin? Anything in there? <laughs> I, I actually read the whole thing. Uh, there wasn't anything about crypto or Bitcoin, though he did mention uh, just the competitive threat of the fintech economy and, and what that means for the banks and as well as the shadow banking environment and how banks are just kind of getting a, a decreasing share of the pie as a result of all of this innovation. He expects there to be a big merger wave as a result of all of that. Right. I think JP Morgan will help you with Bitcoin, right? Andrew, don't they? They will if, if you need to. Yeah. You get exposure through JPM, but I don't know if you can buy direct. I don't know. Leslie, I don't think you can buy direct, right? I don't think you can buy direct, but I, I, I do believe that you can get exposure. And I think they were looking into ways to, to help service that. Which is kind of weird, whether, you know, with, with how the CEO feels about it. Maybe he's had evolving views, would you say? Slightly evolving? I don't know. I think everybody's had. Yeah, <laughs> evolving, evolving. <laughs> I would say pretty much everybody's had evolving views on right. crypto over the last. We years. need to have evolved. What if you don't evolve? Then you, you get stuck. All right. Thanks, Leslie. We've got some breaking news for you. Uh, Twitter shares, they are surging right now up a little over 25 percent. This because Tesla CEO Elon Musk has now taken a passive stake in Twitter. That's according to a new SEC filing. The filing says his stake amounts to 9.2% of Twitter's common stock. I don't know what you think. I mean, just a week ago, here he was saying that he wanted to start his own. Clearly, he's not doing that. He's doing this. For reaction, I want to bring in Dan Ives, uh, analyst at Webbush Securities. Dan, I think we're all watching this, uh, scratching our heads a little bit, but, but what, what do you make of it? Well, I think there's two things. One, Musk you know, could try to take a more aggressive stance here on Twitter you know, if this eventually could lead to some sort of buyout in terms of how he could go down the path, it's no surprise that he wanted to do something on social media. And this is really him not just talking the talk, walking the walk. And I think now investors are going to speculate, but this, this makes sense given what Musk has at least been talking about, at least from a social media perspective. But do you think at 9.2%, this is just a precursor to either a buyout or something larger in terms of influence at the company, uh, an ability, you know, he wants to really push for what he would describe as a more hands-off, uh, very free speech approach. Um, obviously, that fl has flown in the face at the moment of the way big tech has been thinking about these things, given the regulation in Washington. Do you think that he's going to go at it in a very different way? Oh, yeah, I think this is just a starter. He's not, you know, Musk is not going to do this just to take a passive stake. He's going to ultimately try to you know, either really change Twitter in terms of more active stake 
or, you know, eventually it could lead to a buyout. And I think that's how he's going about it. And, and, and it's something where this is you know, no different when it comes to space or electronic, ve- you know, electric vehicles. If you look at how Musk looks at social media, this groundswell has been there. Twitter obviously, you know, looks like the perfect sort of candidate. And I think this is just the start of Musk taking a much more active role, at least even just for starters at Twitter. You know, this, this makes it a little more understandable why he is pushing back at the SEC to say, look, I want to be able to say whatever I want on Twitter at this right. point. You know, he had signed that willingly right. that agreement uh, with the SEC to say that he would have somebody signing off on his tweets. Now maybe it makes a little more sense why he's been actively pushing and, to have and, that reversed. And he's got a libertarian streak in him. And, and you know, Twitter in certain sectors really is it, it has infuriated sort of, and, some, and sometimes it's kind of funny. You saw the Babylon Bequa. They, they were banned for a while. Then they came back and said, okay, the, tal- the leader of the Taliban has now been blocked because he retweeted one of the Babylon B tweets. But I don't think Twitter ever blocked Elon Musk. I think it was no, the SEC. No, I know, but they said- blocked, they've, they've done, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they're pretty arbitrary about about. Okay, that. but hey, Dan, here's where I think it gets really complicated. This is sort of um, a little bit of a, a Jeff Bezos scenario. All of a sudden, you're going to have a guy, potentially, and, and we're, now we're in pure speculation territory, either, according to you, controlling or having major influence, let's say, over Twitter in the future, and these massive issues about free speech and these very controversial issues, right? And, and this is what happened or, or what's been blamed. You know, Jeff Bezos has gotten blamed for some of this in certain cases when it comes to uh, The Washington Post. And then you're going to have political leaders who are going to sit around and are going to say, actually, you know what, Elon Musk, I don't really, you know, you're, you're screwing with me here or you're doing this or you're doing that and I don't like that. Now I'm going to do something to you when it comes to, do I want to give a government contract to you for SpaceX? Do I want to give a tax benefit to you for Tesla? So if you're a shareholder in these other companies this morning, what are you supposed to think? Yeah, I mean, it definitely complicates this the situation just given you know where they play in, in in electric vehicles as well as on space and especially the relationship with with U.S. space program. But 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 I believe this is really you know almost a walled strategy in terms of something where he'd really start trying to take a much more active role in Twitter, but in some way do it from a balancing act that it does not affect some of the other businesses. Obviously, Bezos is a good example in terms of the bright spotlight. But this is this has been building for years, and I think it's now reached a point where Musk recognized now or never. But Dan, but I think Elon Musk and passive is like an oxymoron. He doesn't need to, he's not scouring the, 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 the broken down tech sector for values there to try and make money. Oh, look, that's cheap. I'm going to take a stake here and try and make some money. He, does, he makes money himself with his own company. I, I, that's why I don't think this, by definition, is probably not passive. He wants something from this and not a profit. It's not, it's not that he's looking to, for a quick hit on, on making some money. He, he wants to influence how Twitter operates. Although, guess what? He How just made passive? a lot of money. It's up 25%. He's already made money, but is that, that's not no, his That's thing. not why he does it, no. Yeah, and Joe, I would just say there's a better chance of me playing in the Masters this weekend than Mustang just passive. <laughs> okay. We are going to leave the conversation there for now, I should say. I'm sure we will spend a lot more time over the next three hours talking about it. 
Coming up on Squawk Pod, Amazon workers in New York went from grassroots organizing at a fulfillment center to the first vote to unionize inside the e-commerce giant. The head of the two million worker strong Service Employees International Union joins us next. This historic uprising of workers is going to result in many more workers being able to join together and bargain a better life by taking a poverty wage job and making it a living wage job that they can raise their families on. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. ALU! 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 Amazon Labor Union has just won the first union for Amazon workers in American history. 2654 yes to 2131 no. All power to the people! Oh, we want to thank Jeff Bezos for going to space because when he was up there, we were signing people up. This is Becky's mic. Straight up on Becky. Q. Amazon warehouse workers in Staten Island made history on Friday. Their vote for unionization marked a first at Amazon in the United States. For a closer look at this story and the union push across the country, let's welcome Mary Kay Henry. She's the president of the Service Employees International Union, or SEIU. It's the second largest union in the United States, representing healthcare, government, and other workers. The SEIU did not have a direct role in Friday's vote, but it is supportive of their efforts. And, and Mary Kay, welcome. Uh, what were you thinking as, as you heard this news about the Amazon unionization? I thought what the president of the United States said when the Affordable Care Act was passed, this is a BFD for working people all across the service and care economy. And it inspires Starbucks workers, nursing home workers, hospital workers, everyone all across the economy to have the confidence to join together and demand unions for all workers. You know, we have heard so much about unionization in this country, and there are so many efforts that are taking place, places where there were strikes, other places like Starbucks, where they are trying to unionize for the first time. Um, At the same time, though, union levels in this country fell to the lowest levels we've seen, 10.3 percent last year. How do you match up what we're hearing in the headlines with what we're actually seeing with union membership? Well, there's been an unrelenting attack on unions from state legislatures and from major corporations for the last 40 years. And I think workers are rising up after this pandemic and saying enough is enough. 
we can do better. They were demanding respect us, protect us, pay us. And we're witnessing the great resignation of workers turn into the great reckoning by workers deciding not to quit their job, but by joining together and demanding unions. I guess I wonder what happens next. We are we are talking about labor levels hitting incredibly um, low levels. It's uh, employers everywhere are desperate to find workers. As a result, wages have come up pretty significantly. Minimum wage has has risen dramatically. The the actual minimum wage that companies are willing to pay has gone up sharply over the last couple of years. Um, how long does that kind of hang in there? How how long can you have that? And and does it change? Does the tide change when? You get back to a position where if we head into a recession, jobs are harder to come by. How, how lasting is this movement? Well, I think this historic uprising of workers is going to result in many more workers being able to join together and bargain a better life uh, by taking a poverty wage job and making it a living wage job that they can raise their families on through a union. And so I think one victory like the Staten Island workers that we were proud to celebrate and want to support uh, will fuel other victories like Starbucks workers in store after store deciding to join together. And that inspires nursing home workers who have had it as a result of the pandemic and airport workers who are saying to American Delta and United, now is the time for you to invest in the contracted out jobs uh, that have need to be unionized all throughout the service and care sector. You know, companies have stepped up and agreed to pay higher wages. What, what are the main goals for the unions at this point in terms of what you'd like to see that, that you're not able to get right now anyway? Well, the higher wages have to be made permanent through a collective bargaining agreement. We've seen cases where the 15 or $18 hiring um, wage uh, lasts for the first two to three months on the job, and then the wages uh, decreased. And so the only way wages can continue to rise all across the service and care economy in the U.S. is if people demand unions for all and are able to bargain wages, benefits, and conditions that allow them to raise their families. Hey, Mary Kay, how do you weigh the distinction between higher wages on one side and what might be described as investment in either stores or facilities that make those jobs uh, work better? The reason I'm asking you the question is I'm thinking today is Howard Schultz's first day at Starbucks. And there's two conundrums, as I see it, at Starbucks, uh, one of which is the, the labor issue that you're talking about. The other issue is simply that actually there's too many people in those stores right now. Uh, they need to somehow either invest in technology or other things to make that whole situation a more workable situation. I don't know how many times you've walked into a Starbucks store these days and just there's just too many people there. And so you're going to have to invest in that. And so I could see a Starbucks say, look, if we support a unionization effort, that means more money is going to go towards the employee side of it than necessarily in upgrading the stores or the other component parts that might make the employee's life easier in some other ways. Well, I think the Starbucks partners in those stores would take issue with you about how many people are staffing the stores and whether it's too much or too little. And that's why Howard Schultz on his first day at Starbucks needs to decide to welcome the union and treat his partners as actual partners in making that company that they actually love and want to make better 
a better one through a union. And that's what Starbucks partners all across the country are telling us. They love the company, but they want a say on the job. And it's possible to be completely union and be very successful. Talk to Kaiser Permanente or Harley Davidson or other key employers in the economy that have figured out how to respect the workers on the front line through a union and pay them a living wage with decent benefits that they can raise their families on. Mary Kay, a lot has been written, a lot of research done on, on the decline uh, of unions. And you mentioned a, a couple of things and, and they're uh, from your side. Uh, but there are many people that, that have written and that say business leaders, I'm just quoting from some research, now more than ever get it when it comes to positive employee relations, accelerated employee engagement and personal development efforts, are, and especially the younger generations are making union representation unnecessary. In addition, unionized companies aren't very competitive. Uh, they're much slower to change. And in, the, in terms of what it takes to have a successful company today, you need to adapt to changing market conditions very quickly. And they say that that's much more difficult with collective bargaining. Either one of those things, do you think, uh, play into why we've gotten down to, to historic lows? No, I think it's part of the anti-union attack that has been perpetrated for the last 40 years in the economy. And if business leaders and political leaders care about growing racial and economic inequality in the U.S., they may need to figure out ways to allow workers to decide for themselves whether or not they want to join a union and not pour millions of dollars into anti-union consultants and business um, papers like the ones you just quoted from, and recognize that when workers had 30% of the American workforce was bargaining in the 70s, wages were rising for all working people and economic inequality was shrinking. And we've got to decide as a nation whether we're going to tackle the grossest racial and economic inequality in this um, period, and we believe that Unions for All is a key lever against that inequality and would challenge the Chamber of Commerce, the Retail Federation, the Franchise Association to let workers decide for themselves. And then let's figure out how to deal with the worst worker shortage in our lifetime because people just walk through fire and ice by showing up every day as essential workers during this pandemic. And now is the time for business, workers, and government to come together to solve these problems. Mary Kay, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, more on Elon Musk's nearly $3 billion bet on Twitter, weighing whether he's willing to grow that 9% stake into something much, much bigger. Tech watcher Rich Greenfield. Why did Bob Iger, back when Disney was looking at buying Twitter, why did they pass, right? They got nervous about what owning Twitter and being involved in that hotbed of issues would mean for Disney. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. Twitter shares surging. You can check this out, up by about 25%. This comes after Tesla CEO Elon Musk said that he has taken a passive stake in Twitter. That's according to new SEC filings. The filing says his stake amounts to 9.2% of Twitter's common stock. We've been looking back at some of Musk's tweets, and maybe a few caught our attention. This may have given you some hints if you were paying attention along the way. On March 24th, Musk put out a Twitter poll asking if the social media platform's algorithm could be open or should be open source. Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey responded, the choice of which algorithm to use or not should be open to everyone. Another interesting thread was back on March 26th. Musk tweeted, given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done? Well, I guess he has his own ideas. Joining us now, Rich Greenfield, Lightshed uh, Partners co-founder. Uh, we had uh, another individual on earlier, Rich, who said that he, and I don't know if he's a good golfer, but he said he had a better chance of playing in the Masters than this being a passive investment. Do you have that same take on this, that, that it's an oxymoron, passive, and Elon Musk? I'm just curious whether he paid for it in Bitcoin. Um, so we'll or see. Or Dogecoin. Whatever. Uh, you know, look, Doge. I think the, <laughs> uh, I had to get that out there. You know, look, the reality is Twitter has never had a control shareholder. I mean, it's, if you think about the big tech companies, I mean, think about all these big tech companies, even a lot of the big media companies, right? They all have controlling shareholders, super voting stock. What's always been amazing about Twitter is it's this massive global communications platform and information platform, has no control shareholder, certainly has had its challenges in the past, but we've been making the point for a long time this company can always be acquired. I mean, there's lots of opportunities. And I don't know whether this is truly passive or not, but I do think it underscores for investors that Twitter could be acquired. And I think given the weakness in the stock that you've seen as investors have sort of given up on so many tech stocks across this universe, there's an opportunity to own Twitter. And look, more than anything, it's certainly highlighting Twitter's had a lot of progress momentum on the user growth side that investors simply ignored after the last quarter because of the cost side of the equation. Well, we just played, the, we just showed you those tweets from Elon Musk. He, this is not about uh, profits and losses and user engagement. And, and it, you, you see what it's about. Actually, I disagree. I think it is about user well, engagement. Well, then why isn't he, he buying other, why isn't he, why isn't he scouring the the broken, you know, all the, the fallen angels in tech and taking stakes and all of them. this. This one is one. No, no, where no, he's Joe, always- you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The reason he's making these comments about open sourcing and the, you know, kind of a, the town hall, like this whole way he's thinking about it is because Twitter has gotten so big and so important that he believes that there should be different algorithms or different ways of information ferreting up to the top. He wouldn't care if, if Twitter was irrelevant and tiny and not growing as rapidly as it is. He wouldn't care. So I think the point is he does care because Twitter is relevant. Twitter well, is a relevant, he, is the most important information the point that I'm, You're missing the point I'm making. He's not doing this to try to, to juice the stock and make some money like an activist investor to try to open up shareholder value so he can make some money. He's doing it because he wants to change the way that, that Twitter's being run right now in terms of censorship and, 
uh, and everything else. You don't think that that's what he's doing here? You think it's purely a, an economic play that he's making? Why didn't he buy? There's a lot of cheap companies out there that he's not interested in. I mean, 9% stake's not going to give him the ability to change well, the yet. course of this company. So we'll see. He's got to own a lot more than 9% to have an impact on how this company runs. Well, you've got to start with, with 9%. You can't, you, know, you can't start with 60%. Sounds like a good reason for investors to own the stock, though. Rich, I've been asking the question all morning, how you think this should influence or how you think if you're an investor in a Tesla or a SpaceX, you should think about this. The parallel I was drawing was actually Jeff Bezos owning The Washington Post and some of the uh, political implications that that created for Amazon. You mean, you walk me through, like, what's your big fear, Andrew? Like, how do you think this plays out? I don't know if it's a fear. I think the question is, if it's not a fear, but if Elon Musk decides that he's effectively going to take over or have meaningful influence over Twitter, Twitter changes the way it functions in terms of information on the service, perhaps misinformation on the service. He's he has a much more sort of laissez-faire libertarian view about what's on the service, what's not, whether politicians on the left or the right decide that that's not okay and therefore decide in the same way that Trump decided to take it out on Amazon over the coverage that that he felt was not fair at The Washington Post, whether some politician decides, you know what, I don't like the way Twitter's operating. I'm not going to provide a defense contract to SpaceX. I'm not going to provide a tax benefit to Tesla. Look, I, I guess what you're getting at is sort of why did Bob Iger back when Disney was looking at buying Twitter? Why did they pass, right? They got nervous about what owning Twitter and being involved in that hotbed of issues would mean for Disney. And, you know, look, I still think that would have been an incredible transaction for Disney. But you're right. Twitter brings with it a very polarizing global town hall. So there is certainly risk with it. But again, I think sort of cart before the horse, 9% passive stake. And remember, once you actually, let's just say Elon Musk buys Twitter, takes it over. It is very different running Twitter and actually seeing how all of this sausage gets made every day than looking at it from the outside. I mean, the problem that they're trying to solve from an information standpoint is truly monumental. And it's like whack-a-mole, right? It gets worse by the day. Is it better? You know, I think are the tools that users have to control what they see and what they don't see better than they were one, two, three, and four years ago? Absolutely. And look, Twitter came out and told you just a few weeks ago, they expect user growth to accelerate from 13% the last couple of quarters to over 20% over the course of the next couple of years. Like they are way more excited about their next two years than the market. Like the market is just ignoring and doesn't believe. I mean, I was just with a whole bunch of investors down at a Disney analyst day last week. The pessimism around Twitter's guidance is extremely high. Like people just don't believe the management team. So we'll see if they actually can execute, though, combined with, you know, the, the potential of this company being acquired. This stock is going a lot higher. You think Bezos bought The Washington Post because he thought newspapers were undervalued? No, I think it's because he actually wanted to have a voice in the world. But I, that's a diff- very different size purchase than we're talking about. This is a very large I mean, it's all, it's but all right. relative. $250 million seemed like, you know, a lot at the time. This is, think about how much money Elon Musk right, has right now. Yes, I'm just saying th- this is not a $250 million purchase. This is, you know, this is at a whole other scale. But, you know, you're right. I mean, from the standpoint of are there people that want to own assets to have influence globally? I mean, look, Rupert Murdoch's had newspapers all around the world. Why? Because they are influential. Right. Because... All the way back, to, and uh, it reminds me of what they said about power of the dog. I, I've, 
I've seen Citizen Kane three times and I'm only halfway through it, but I'm, I'm watching it again and it's all, about, uh, it's all about influence, Rich. I don't know, of course that was about money too, but he was never happy. And you know, you know what Rosebud even is, if right? He's, even, if he doesn't, even if he doesn't buy more, this stock is going higher. Rosebud. All right, Rich. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.